This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? Well, g'day everyone. Welcome back to another episode of You're Missing the Point. Today we take a trip down memory lane where it all started with Movie Minds and my good mate, Moral Bob from the Hidden in Plain Sight podcast. Like I said in the previous episode of these bonus features, this was where I really started to get stuck into the podcasting in general and started to make connections with people within the podcasting community. Bob was great for that. He's been an absolute legend, a mate, someone who's helped me along the whole way. And I was really happy and proud to have made this series with him. As I said, and I've already stated, unfortunately, I never put these out on my own feed until now. So you get to be the lucky listeners of these bonus episodes. Now, for those of you who already follow Bob, you would have heard this before. But for my new listeners and those who haven't heard it, congratulations. You get to fill your ears with the magic that is a deep dive on me, myself, and Irene, and The Mask. That's right. We have a double feature for you today. Sit back, grab a coffee, put your feet up, relax, and enjoy this trip down memory lane of the podcast that was Movie Minds. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Movie Minds. I am, as usual, Moral Bob, and with me, the great, the one, the only, Drew Messon from Missing the Point. And uh, we are going to chat about a couple more movies. We're doing a double header tonight. So, Drew, man, how you doing, brother? Great, mate. Really good. Um, uh, not as overt as what our previous breakdown was, but there's still a bit of hidden symbolism in both these, and I'm interested to see what you could identify and what I've got that's different. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be fun because I think we, we both look for different things, you know, and I kind of know what you're going to look for, so I try not to look for what you're going to look for. Um, so, and I think it works great because we, we could both, you know, put a pretty good analysis uh, of, of these movies together, given our two different views. So I say we start with the mask. I mean, given, yeah, beautiful. you know, that there's so much symbolism just in, in that term, especially right now. Uh, that was mask. a big one for sure. Yeah. Uh, so. Before we jump into it, have you noticed so far that all his roles are very, very similar? Like there's yes. a, a definite theme about his characters, whether that's typecasting or it's he's sending a message or the, the industry sending a message through what he's playing. He's definitely got a similar role as a character in all his films. Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, there's a couple outliers where he does something slightly different, but um, at least his later stuff, you know, when he was doing like Dumb and Dumber and uh, Ace Ventura, those are just kind of slapstick, stupid. I mean, but they're all very exaggerated. Like all yeah, of his movies are very exaggerated. 
but that's that's what he is, you know. Yeah, he's a very animated. I, I remember isn't. him that's what he is. from when he was Fire Marshal Bill uh, <laughs> on Living Color, you know, uh, a skit show back in the eighties and nineties. I think he was. Was that the Wayne's Brothers show? Yeah, or was it different? Yeah, and he was the only white guy, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he was Fire Marshal Bill, dude, and he was <laughs> he was this like burn victim fire marshal that didn't have lips. <laughs> And he was he was explaining in an interview one time, like they asked him, like, how do you make such good faces like you? You're able to contort your face in a way that most people can't. And he said, well, I would spend hours looking in the mirror, studying my face and how it moves and seeing if I could make it do what I wanted it to do. And so he had just spent hours and hours and hours and hours looking in the mirror and contorting his face. And that's why he can do all of these crazy expressions with his faces. That dude could probably control his his facial muscles better than anybody else. Absolutely. And he, he seems to have that in all his films as well. There's always a moment where he's looking in a mirror and pulling faces or doing something along those yes. lines. So it's in all the films. Yes. Oh, God. Now I'm going to start looking for mirrors in all of his movies because he <laughs> does like have monologues with himself in every single movie into a mirror. Yeah, he's always talking to himself. Yep. Yep. Or talking to it, uh, another personality. Right. Before yeah, we yeah. jump in, do you know the background for The Mask at all? No. So before it was a film, it was actually uh, a DC Comics, Dark Horse Comics series. Um, very graphic, very um, brutal, bloody. So it had to be toned down quite a bit for the film. Um, it dates back to 1982 with Mike Richardson, who was the founder of Dark Horse Comics. And his explanation of what the mask is, is a sort of protector demon. Well, it alludes to that in the, yeah. in the beginning of the movie when, it's, when you're starting to get to know the mask and it shows, you know, kind of how the mask came about. Um, so it, it touches on that in the movie. But, like, if you don't know the background, then you're, just, you're not going to know yeah. that. That's it. I assume, you know, from the movie, you get that it's this this spirit that is in the mask. Uh, but that's interesting that it's a it's a demon. Yeah. And that, uh, and before I even find that out myself, that was what I was edging towards, that it's a, a more of a, a take on possession opposed to a entity going through the mask. It's actually something taking him over opposed right. to um, releasing his inner self. But yeah. Well, and it could be both like and he I think he alludes to that in the movie where it's like, um, you know, it, it makes him what he's not right or what he wants to be, you know, because in the movie, Jim Carrey's this guy that that wants to be this this heartthrob like drools over these women at work. And, you know, he watches like only cartoons, though. And he's the tokenistic. The nice guy finishes last. Right. And all the girls love him. And yeah. he goes out his way to buy tickets for one of his co-workers. And she's like, oh, my friend, girlfriend's in town and she needs to go see this and she can't stay at home. Yeah. Uh, can't you just buy another ticket? No, that's the last tickets. And he caves and just lets her manipulate him, which is just his characters down to a T. Right. He's manipulated by women in every single film. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, which, you know, the next movie that will, you know, there's similarities. That's why we did this double header is because these two movies are so similar. Like they're so similar. It's the inner person that he wants to be that he can't let out that comes ends up coming bursting out of him, you know, uncontrollably uh, in both of these movies. It's and if you look at at some of his other ones, they're very similar. This inner character comes out 
Uh, and I don't know if that's a purposeful common theme, you know, but I, I think the name of the city that they're in is also very relevant. It's Edge, Edge City. city. Yeah. 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 Edge yeah. City. And it like when you when it comes in on the city, it's like this dystopian landscape of like, you know, junk flowing through pipes into the ocean and there's industrial smoke and clouds. And it's this very cartoon-esque kind of comic-y landscape that we're we're come upon. Very uh, 90s Batman films, weren't they? Had very that much. Into it, didn't it? Yep. Yeah. Very kind of ominous. This city. In that opening... In that opening where it starts off in Edge City, when we first get introduced to what the mask is as an object, what's your take on how it was introduced? Um, I think, I don't think they went through enough. I, I would have liked to have seen more about the mask first. Um, but I, I think they kind of rushed it. It, it felt really rushed because they just push past through this stuff and you hear the beats in the background that make it seem like there's some spell. Um, and then... What like it gets thrown away or something? It's in the lake. It's in the river. Like yeah, oh, so that's I, what it was. So so it's those people working on the pipe. They're working on the pipeline, right? And what what you don't really see is that somebody died to release the mask. So there yeah, was like there I, was a sacrifice. A sacrifice. Yeah, there was a Same. sacrifice. He's down there. He hits the freaking the chest, and it pops open, and the mask floats up. And and that's that's how it releases, and it's this very Jumanji kind of drumming, tribal yeah, and, drumming. And it definitely, it's almost like it needed that human sacrifice to enter the world again after right. it was sealed. And the box that it was sealed in, it had the symbols of Loki in the center, but it always had Thor and Odin on either side, which my kind of grasping at straws here that Thor and Odin are sealing Loki in the middle. So Loki's power or his entity was sealed in that box by the other gods. Yeah, because they do um, they do talk about how it is Loki later in the movie, you know, when he's trying to when he goes and talks to Ben Stein. (laughs) Yeah. And Loki, ironically, and here's another thing that we could um, try to tap into other areas. Loki himself isn't a Norse god. He's a Jotun, which is one of the giants, which is in the pantheon of gods, but not necessarily a god. Um, he's a trickster god that, or a trickster giant who lives alongside the gods but isn't considered as a god as the others are. And my link to that was there's god and there's also demons or angels which are considered in the same pantheon as a creator right. but not at that same level. Right. Yeah, they're, they're more like the heroes, you know, like Hercules yeah. or um, what is it, Perseus. You know, it's it's not necessarily a god. It's like a demigod. Yeah, or Jason and the Argonauts. It's that type of a story. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's just a lesser god. It's like uh, the Anunnaki and the Ajiji. Yeah. So our character was Stanley Ipkiss. Stanley Ipkiss is a, a bank teller who works in Edge City, like we said. Would you like the breakdown of what Stanley Ipkiss is within word magic? Yes, of course I would. Okay, so Stanley is an old English name. It's a combination of stone and meadow and ipcus is from norfolk meaning diminutive so small so he's a small man mm-hmm. um, and within the norse and celtic mythologies stones and ga- uh, stones and boulders are gateways to the other realms for fairy folk trolls little people and if you look at his name diminutive or ipcus he's a man from a stone meadow that's diminutive in size so it's almost linking back into that um pre-Christian Celtic and Norse mythology just with his name. Yep. 
Yeah, I knew there was something there. I was I was waiting for that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, because um, he is this he's this, you know, meek, you know, weak little little man. You know, he's, he's timid in personality. He's, he's small. He's not yeah, outgoing. He's, he's very, very pressured. He, he's not outgoing. He people can push him around and manipulate him. And he just goes along with a smile on his face because he just kind of wants people to like him which is very much you know, me, myself, and Irene. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's just weak. He's just a, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, a beta. He wants all the women, but he doesn't think that he has what it takes to get any of the women. But he, he idolizes these machismo kind of cartoons, which is that personality that ends up coming out. Yes, he's dictated I've Dare of Looney Tunes is the way yeah. to get women. <laughs> and so... So in one of the first scenes, what we have is Stanley talking to a co-worker who is also a meek person, but a little more outgoing. He thinks he's kind of a, a big dude, you know, a, you know, somebody to that that is somebody. Uh, and he's his co-worker. Yes, yeah, co-worker. His co-worker, That's, his name, Charlie. And Charlie, Charlie. is Christian for free man. <laughs> he's, he's free about himself to actually go about and talk to women. He's got the yeah. confidence that he doesn't have. Yeah, so he's well, and and but he gets shot down a lot. Like he's still yeah. kind of a pathetic guy. Um, <laughs> and so you have this moment where we're introduced to Cameron Diaz in the movie, where um, it's raining, and Cameron Diaz comes in out of the rain in a red dress into the into the bank, you know. And so the red dress is also very symbolizing of you know a temptress, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know somebody that's going to to trick you. You know, almost uh, like a succubus. Yeah, and it's it's also a symbol of religious fervor as well. The color red, it's yep. a big um, identifier for religion. Um, it's, and it's also in a context within America, apparently, that red dresses symbolize people going missing or being murdered, and it kind of foreshadows that her relationships with seedy people in the background are going to be a threat to her life later on. Right. Yeah, because uh, she comes in looking for an account, and she the one guy you know that thinks he's awesome walks up to her and he's like hey let me let me help you out and she just hands him her coat and sits down with stanley and says can you help me knowing because immediately she knows she can read his energy and know that he's the one that's going to be easily manipulated yes absolutely she's that um she's that image of sexual imagery and once again that theme of being exploited by women because of his nice nature Right, And you go in very much at this point with this character thinking she's going to be the seductress who pushes him around throughout the film. But as we know, that that changes later on. Right. Yeah. She, you know, it shows that while she's talking to him about an account, she's got a camera in her purse. You know, mm-hmm. so it turns out she works for, for crooks that are wanting to get a bank robbery uh, under the belt. And it's a, it's a little crony guy that wants to do the bank robbery so he can take over uh, the kind of crime family. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's very mob-like, you know, and that adds to the dystopian kind of landscape that we're put in is like, it's a crime city. You know, it's the crime Lord um, that runs the city and his boss, Nico is like the guy. He's like the boss. He's the Don, the, the big kahuna. Yeah. He's the um, one not to be crossed. That's right. Uh, this character that we're talking about at the moment is Tina Carla. Here's some more word magic for everyone. Tina is Latin, which means follower of Christ. And Carlisle means 
from the protected tower or from the walled city. So she's a follower of Christ who is protected in a walled city. Oh, is that alluding to the Vatican? Possibly. <laughs> or, or that she's she's protected or being kept by her, uh, by her shady her, boyfriend. Yeah. Who is, who is the guy that's wanting to... He wants to overtake Nico the boss. Yes. You know, so, you know, this guy's got illusions of grandeur that he will take over the city after he takes out the boss. And his girlfriend is is Tina, is Cameron. Hmm. Um, so did you happen to notice the conversation when she had the camera there and she's seducing him about getting the account so she can stake the place out for the cronies that she talks about his tire reminding her of one of those ink block tests. And he yes. instantly jumps to, Oh yeah. Rorschach test. Almost alluding to like, yeah, I've, I've had one of those before, or he just may just know about it, but I kind of inferred that he was, he's gone through those types of tests before. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that he's he's been with a, a psychiatrist or something and been evaluated at some point in time. So yeah, he's seen a shrink, possibly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, but then he he kind of he's like it's a power tie, like power tie. Yeah, it's full like bright it's, colors. It's, yeah, it's, it's meant to make you feel strong. <laughs> you know, something obviously he he doesn't feel. So it's not working. No, definitely not. <laughs> Even in the conversation, she's um the languages she uses, she's she tells him that the tire reminds her of uh, a naked woman riding bareback on a horse, like a lady Godiva thing. Yes. So yes, she's putting these images insane. in his mind to throw him off off what's going on. Well, just uh, you know, the whole idea of Lady Godiva as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Know. So I was just like, <laughs> and then it's just promoting of, of a sexual image to further yep. manipulate him and then make it, but while stroking his ego that he so desperately wants stroked. He's know? getting that attention he's never had before and he's loving right. it. Right. Yeah. So he's completely missing the fact that she's adjusting her purse to aim it at the freaking safe, <laughs> not so, you know, nonchalantly. <laughs> so we get past that scene where they're in the bank. You know, I think she says, what does she say? She says something, but we move out of that scene. And, he, and Stanley is now feeling kind of good. You know, he's met this. He's, he's pumped up. He's feeling energetic. Yeah, he's, and he he's, decides that he's take his friend Charlie's offer and go to the nightclub. Yeah, he's like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's let's go. Yeah, uh, but of course they get to the nightclub, and since he is still kind of weak and pathetic, he doesn't he doesn't get in. He gets kind of kicked out uh, and tossed to the side, and then he sees Cameron Diaz again going in, and now she's wearing a black and white dress. Mm-hmm. You know, also very symbolic. Yes. So, uh, so we see her yet again in a very esoteric symbolism dress that's very tight fitting now whether or not you think cameron diaz is a dude or not because there is some (laughs) theories out there that all the hollywood starlets are all dudes you know what i looked at her hands seeing her in this movie she's got some big ass hands so (laughs) so i'm not ruling it out but adam's apple you can crack a coconut on (laughs) yeah a bigger adam's apple than jim carrey so you know Mm, maybe yeah <laughs> but they the do in everything they did a bang up job they do great um, work in hollywood <laughs> hey man with the ones they really want to convince you i mean i guess 
Bruce Jenner didn't get the same surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> that, that dude missed the boat on that one. <laughs> He's like, damn it. I wanted to look like Cameron Diaz. Now I just look like me with boobs. <laughs> I think the upside to it, though, you can run people over and kill them in a car and you just get off scot-free because you're a woman now. Yeah. Hey, you can do whatever. I mean, Matthew Broderick got away with it, so. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> supposedly anyway like so so this is this is the lead up to where stanley gets the mask because he's he's depressed he didn't make it into the bar he watches the girl that he wants walk into that that club you know and and so he's bummed and he drives this car that he got because he had taken his car to a shop and they screwed him over. He came, brought it in for an oil change. That was something I forgot about. He, yeah. he brought yeah. it in for an oil change. And they're like, man, you need like a new engine and transmission, man. It's yeah. going to be, oh. you know. Plus, what's what's this? Oh, no, about 500 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. They're, that one dude pops up out of an engine. What's this? <laughs> oh, about $700. That's what it is. Like, all right. And so they, 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 they screw over Stanley and they give him the loaner. Which yeah, is the loaner. Like this, this old beat up Studebaker um, and he's driving it away from the bar, you know, um, and he stops on a, it dies on a bridge. Yeah. It specifically breaks down right over the top where the mask is. Right. That's so, the interesting part. It breaks down where the mask is. Now, whether or not that was the mask making it break down or it was just a big piece of shit and it was coincidence. <laughs> who knows? Um, but that's when uh, Stanley's mad and he's standing on the edge of the bridge. And I think he just in, inadvertently falls in. Is that what happens? The mask is floating in the river surrounded by garbage. Oh, he it looks it's like person. it's a person drowning. It's, he think, it's, it's so mixed up being in like the nice trash. Guy. Yeah, yeah, him being the nice guy. He's like, hey, buddy, right. don't worry, I'm coming. The whole time he sees it and he starts going for the mask, you, see, you hear the ominous sound of thunder in the background. Yeah almost warning him off. And if that's, if we're thinking of this entity as Loki, that's definitely Thor, the God of Thunder, showing his displeasure of, hey, don't go near that thing, guy. Come on. Yeah, warning him. Hey, yep, it's down there for a reason. Um, but he goes down there and he thinks he's saving somebody. And so he grabs this bundle of trash and he's kind of wrestling with it to try to save it. And he realizes it's trash. And then the cops look down at it. Cops had stopped, you know, on the bridge because there's a broken down car. They're like, hey, what are you doing down there? And he goes, uh, uh, I'm looking for my mask. And like holds his mask up. And apparently the cops are like, all right. Oh, yeah, cool. No, get out of here. <laughs> Just get out of here with your mask. <laughs> and so um, he gets the mask and he goes home. And he's squelching water and mud all through the walkway. And his building manager finds him and <laughs> just laughing my own notes building manager is a bitch yes. Andrew, that's perfect notes you yes. got there yeah uh miss mrs peenman is his building manager that old wench and dragon of a woman uh and peenman is a variation of penman meaning servant of pen usually associated with penny masters in charge of the mint or coin and of oh. course he has to give her money to live in the apartment complex so that makes sense for her name yep that does make sense for a name. God, man, it's insane how deep they go on this stuff that 99.9% .9 of people aren't even going to, they're not even going to, this is never going to be a connection, but then they do this. Like, what do you, 
What do you think is is it a spell that they're constantly casting on you? Like like is it just you know some writers in the back room just giggling, going, "Hey, we, <laughs> you know they know you know they they go this deep because they're just nerdy about it. They're trying to make their writing job more interesting, um, you know." Or do you think it is uh, purposeful? You know, subliminal messaging. To- I- I'm tending to think it's on the latter side of things. I don't know if there'd be too many writers that'd be geeking out trying to find the best names for characters. Yeah, essentially. Well, like, yeah, yeah, maybe somebody is is tasked to do that, but you know they're told it's some it's for some hidden meeting, just kind of Easter egg, haha stuff. Yeah, when it does have some actual you know esoteric magic energy kind of something tied to it when you start doing this stuff because these things go deep i mean that is purposeful and it stacks and it stacks and it stacks if it's a one-off yeah cool that might just be a, a writer's um putting his own little fingerprint on a film so he can say to his family in the future oh, i named that character for this reason cool right, but, nice it's one, Grandpa. The but it's all the time and it's all the time yeah you yeah. know and so so it's there for a reason we just haven't figured out the reason yet. It's like, is it just and the raisin- Easter egg stuff or is it, is it actual, you know, word magic? You know, is it casting some kind of spells, stealing more of our energy, doing something subconsciously to us, um, you know, tapping into maybe some ancient, you know, something in our brain or in our energy that we don't even know that's happening, you know, because it's, this was, this was a big movie. This was a blockbuster movie of the times. So a lot of people I- saw it. Yeah, I think it was he had three big hitters all in the same year. It was the mask, Dumb and Dumber, and Ace Ventura or something. Ace Ventura probably. all in the yeah. all in the same year. Yep. All in the same year. Yeah. So, you know, this was a big one. These were huge. He was this this new booming star. Like, Holy shit. Who is this guy? He kind of came out swinging with Ace Ventura and all of this stuff after after being, you know, a sitcom or not even a sitcom, but like a, a, a single uh, character. Yeah, for like a a skit show. Yeah, you know, and so he wasn't even a prominent figure. You know, Fire Marshal Bill only came around every now and again, even every episode. So you know, he was. A and he broke the mold of character. He broke the mold of comedians all coming from Saturday Night Live as well. Right. He came from a, a competitor show essentially, and yep. he was played one character, and then he comes out and he's far better than most of the comedians of his time. Well, and see, was he given all of these roles that were very exaggerated because of that role? Because they, you know, the people in Hollywood said, hey, man, we can use that face. And he completely just is some actor that doesn't even know any of it. Like, like, that's where I'm at is like, you know, it it goes to where everybody's like, well, yeah, so many people would have to be in on it. And it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. And maybe a lot of people that are in it don't even know. It's you know, so oblivious. That's what just, I kind of, yeah, I kind of lend to the same thing. You see him in his early works and what he was like when he was younger. I think he was just oblivious to the reality that is Hollywood and that kind of a, a system. And the older he's gotten, the more outspoken he's become almost like his eyes have opened up to what's going on around him. And he wants to speak out on it, but maybe he can't to the degree can't. That he wants yeah. to. Yeah. He might be compromised in some way, you know, because... Who knows? Who knows? I mean, he was he was a big, big star and big stars, uh, you know, can get put in compromising positions pretty easily. I sure can. You know, I was listening to something. And it was like, imagine you're a big star and you go to the Playboy Mansion and you end up in a room with somebody who seems like a consenting adult. And it turns out they're 15. <laughs> and they own you for life. 
Yep. And then you then you just like what? You know, or maybe they get you to do something worse. Yeah. You know, you know, maybe it's maybe it's gay shit. Maybe it's just a pedophile. I mean, I've, I I would imagine that if you're a big star and you just found out you had sex with a 15 year old, that's enough to keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Right? And do what like, you're told. Right. And it's almost like those systems moved away from the gay stuff. That was probably the big draw card for keeping people quiet and on site in the 50s, through, even to the 70s. But mm-hmm. 80s onwards, yep. it kind of had to shift gear to deeper and darker shit that they were using dialed over people. Yeah, which is very true because there's there were big time actors like Rock Hudson, who's a massive actor. He's gay as shit. <laughs> like... <laughs> and when somebody told me that, I was like, wait a minute, because I grew up on those old school movies. My dad, my parents watched those old movies. Um, and so I knew who Rock Hudson was. And somebody told me he was gay. And I was like, no, he's not. <laughs> not Rock Hudson. His name's Rock, Rock Hudson. Hudson. <laughs> like, that is the most not gay name you could possibly have. <laughs> and in hindsight, it almost sounds like a gay porn name now. It does sound Rock like Rock Hard gay Hudson. Name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Anyway, yeah. No, we're like, talking I, about his face. So we're, we're talking, talking about we're talking about how Jim Carrey can contort his face his and how face. that may have been what got him in all of these crazy roles is because they knew he was this guy that could do it. And actors just kind of go along. That's what they're good at. They're good at just acting. You know, yeah. they're good at separating separating things out and compartmentalizing you know everything so they could compartmentalize this role you know and not even understand it or care about understanding it and just want to play the role they could be have no idea the symbolism they're doing i think some of them do um you know people that are in you know other cults like uh scientology like you know tom Cruise, for example i think that dude is well aware of what he's doing and what he's in on I, I don't think he's at all just kind of some guy that got used. I think Jim Carrey could. Yeah. Um, Jim Carrey, even, I think that's why they typecast him as that lovable, normal guy, because I think that's what he was genuinely like to begin with in his career. Right. And they could use that and they saw that and they harnessed it. Yep. Yeah. So and then they broke him. Yeah. And yeah, he's, he's, he's like, he's a broken man. He's, he's broken. If you listen you to some it? of his interviews now. Yeah. And did you check out his artwork? Yes, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Mental. Absolutely mental. That is so not he's, he's, the he's, artwork of a stable person. No. And at this point in his career, he's still going through the motions. He's that physical outlandish comedy actor that we've discussed. And it leads us to the next scene where he puts on the mask for the first time. And again, he's looking in a mirror when he does it. Yeah. yeah he's, he's trying to talk to... He's, he's talking home. himself. Yeah, he's home. He's in his safe space. He's trying to talk himself through like the complete sham of a man he is and he sees the glimmer within the mask and puts it on and the whole time it looks like a demonic possession exorcist kind of a deal he's throwing his flailing around doing his he slapped his stick comedy at the same time as he looks like he's physically in pain right yeah as this mask is grafting itself to his face spins around like the tasmanian devil freaks his dog out um and which will come into play later um but yeah then he's he he stops and he's this ah, smoking <laughs> like he's this he's this character that's like this outgoing cartoon. I can do anything. He he's basically personifying all of those cartoons that he watches. Those machismo cartoons, which if if any of you remember some of the older cartoons, 
there's there's the one where the dog is at the table and there's a lady dancing and singing on the on stage and they're like oh and his eyes pop way out and everything like that's that's kind of the character that he becomes and and that gets personified later in in a mask um mask scene where he actually goes to that face and his eyes bulge out and his heart comes out because he once he puts the mask on he decides he's going to go back to the club or no he's an over- wait, he robs the bank first yeah so he he's knows- an over accentuated um he, it almost personifies his he's a hopeless romantic and it over inflates that it's like he's on steroids in that part of his personality but before right. we jump on to that to the going to the bank the mask is green Right. And of all the yes. colors they can chose green. Green symbolizes growth, life, and renewal in, es- in esotericism. Oh, word right. vomit. Um, in the esoteric world, it means growth, life, and renewal. Right. Which is all the things that he needs in his life because he's so within his own shell and within his own prison of his personality. Well, and green is a very occult color as well. Yeah, it's um, a blending of blue and yellow. Right. Yes, <laughs> Which is. we're seeing a lot of blue and yellow at the moment. It's also the, you know, and blue and yellow is, for people that don't know, those are the colors of the Freemason, is blue and gold. Um, and there's a lot of green that's been going around lately, you know, um, in a lot of shows and commercials and, and things <laughs> that have happened in our world. So here's an example. Within Australia, all the COVID advertising, or get your shots, get your booster. It's all been a green background and green text. Really? Here it's all blue and Every, yellow. Everything. All green. Yeah, here it's blue and yellow. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've seen, dude, uh, I've taken pictures of so much blue and yellow stuff because now, of course, it's like it's like buying a car and then you see the car everywhere. But yeah, same uh, thing. You know, I just, watching the news with my wife and like she's wearing a blue and yellow dress. She's wearing my, one. My wife even sees it now. She's like, "Holy shit, blue and yellow!" And I, you know, I started pointing it out, and I was like, "Look how much stuff is blue and yellow." Like the high school in in my town colors are blue and yellow. The middle school's colors are blue and yellow. Uh, I think this town, uh, this city, is like there's a sign that's like this city is sponsored by the Rotary Club and their colors are blue and yellow. Um, My school's uniform is blue and yellow. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's nuts. Nuts. It's crazy. It's everywhere. It's it is. Everywhere. It's everywhere. And I, I think this is all, there's a reason they do this stuff, right? It's not just to kind of throw it in our face. There is some energy reason that they do this stuff. It's got some deeper, something that we don't even understand. We can't comprehend. Or It's just... Uh, again, like an actual spell that's maybe tapping into some ancient genetic memory of ours from a time before, or whether um, it's just manipulating us mentally in a way we don't know, or what. I don't know. Again, it's there. And there's a reason that they constantly these things. And there's there's something to it. I'm still trying to figure out why. Uh, Hopefully it's just not one of those rabbit holes that's placed there so we keep digging and not recognize what's going on around us. fucking might be. <laughs> you know, which I've talked about numerous times about how they just they're putting stuff there. So we chase our damn tails. Um, but the symbolism of green is still is still there, especially in this movie. And it's it's important. Again, it's like, man, if this is just in the writing of the movie, man, this is this goes deep. Like, why would they put this there if it wasn't some other meaning? You know, some writer is just like, wait, we got we have to make the mask green because of this reason. It's almost like the inverted pyramid scale where you've got the, the main storyline, the obvious stuff at the top, and then each successive layer, it's getting smaller and smaller to the point where people don't see it. Right. Yeah. 
you know and so they have they put all of this stuff out that we don't see and it's just them chuckling in the background going ha 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 for whatever (laughs) reason so (coughs) so he puts on this mask and it takes him over and he changes and he's this extravagant character and the first thing that happens is he go he's trying to sneak out right he's trying to sneak past his landlord's house or his landlord's apartment and uh as the mask, he still knows that he needs to sneak past her place because she's a royal cunt. <laughs> and so, but he pulls an alarm out of his pocket and the alarm starts going off and it jumps out of his hand because it's, it's again, it's very cartoonish, uh, very Roger Rabbit, and it starts bouncing around. So he then pulls a giant mallet out of one of his pockets and starts chasing the clock around, smashing and finally smashes it. And then the landlord comes up and the landlord starts opening fire on him with a shotgun. Both barrels. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, woohoo! And like, <laughs> like just contorts his body to be missed. Um, and then what happens? Uh, after that, he ends up going back to, it's almost like he's getting revenge for all the things that have been done to him earlier in the film. He goes straight right. back to the mechanics. So the mechanics fucked him on the, the service. So he literally fucks them with exhaust pipes and puts them straight so far up their ass they need a proctologist to yeah. take them out. <laughs> and they're getting wheeled out on stretches later on and they're face down and there's the exhaust pipe sticking so far out. We need a proctologist, stat. <laughs> Which that is is also some hidden meaning. Like it's yeah. it's it, it's a very sodomistic thing to do. You know, it's it's torture. It's you know, he did this very <laughs> insane thing. You know, it's this movie is meant to be this fun thing, and he did this very grotesque act. He shoved mufflers up these guys' asses. It definitely makes you wonder how um how bad it could possibly be in the comics then that they had to tone it down this far. Right. They toned it down to this. So um, so then he he takes out the mechanics and he's done with that. And then he knows that the bank robbery is happening. And so he goes to the bank and he robs the bank and the other people or the other guys are coming in. The guys that were, you know, Tina's boyfriend and stuff, they're coming to rob the bank and he just bursts out of the door and it's like, sorry, fellas, you're late. And he snatches up the money and takes off. And that's when, that's when everything kind of gets out of control. It's out of the mask's control. It's out of Stanley's control. Everything is is kind of up in the air because now something really insane has happened where it's, you know, a bank robber. And so the yeah, cops show up right after them. And they're looking at they're looking at the security footage and the lieutenant instantly knows that it's a green mask. Meanwhile, it's black and white footage and there's no actual witnesses to what happened. Right. Just to emphasize the point, it's a green mask even more. Um, yeah. And this is this is when the police come to the bank and they start interviewing all the works that are there in case it's an inside job. And this is the first time we meet Peggy Brant, the reporter, who's introduced as a alternative love interest for our main character. Right. Peggy's a Greek name, means child of light or pearl in Old English. And Brant is Norse or Old English for fiery torch or sword. So she's a child of light with the sword. And, of course, she's a redhead as well, so was Thor. Yeah, so fiery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That adds to the fiery. But um, she's she's really delivered to us in a lot of ways that she's the more down-to-earth, normal, more attainable girl for, 
for our character. But right. The and one so that we've been introduced to is bad news. She's seducing you. Right. She's too hot. You can't have her. Yeah. Lower your standards. Be a bit more realistic. That's what yeah. we're presenting and, with as viewers. And so then when you we do meet the redhead, we're like, okay, Stanley may end up end up with a lady, you know, a nice reporter lady that's doing journalism, hard-hitting journalism, trying to get stories done because she's trying to climb the ladder. She's taking on this story because she wants to improve her position. And in contrast, you look at the interaction in their first meeting, she has a genuine connection with him. Right. She's talking to him that, um, you printed my letter, um, nice guys finish last. And she goes, oh, I absolutely love that. There's millions of women who around the country who would like a guy like you, Stanley. And you can see that character development building on that is trying to divert you away from our first character of Tina. Yeah. And she's like, I'm one of them. <laughs> I'm one of them. Yeah, she's yeah. one of them, all right? <laughs> one of yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so so while Jim Carrey is the mask, he goes back after he, he steals all the money. We go through the interview, um, and now he, he's addicted. He's addicted to this feeling, right? But he wants to throw the mask away at the same time. Like, he's torn what to do. And he... He, he's, he's having this inner battle yet again of what to do with the mask. Um, and it's he, almost like an addiction. Every time he's putting the mask on, he's finding it harder and harder to disconnect because it's doing things that he wouldn't do and he knows it. Right. And, and he likes that. It's, it's this life that he's, it's this thing he's always wanted to be, but he's never been able to. And so, uh, of course, there's this desire for him to, to be the mask. Did you notice he's physically more disheveled every time he takes it off as well? Like it's having a physical drain on him? Yeah. Starts getting five o'clock shadow. His hair's no longer kept. He looks like his shirt's like half untucked. Yeah. Yeah. His tie's not tight. It's just draining him. And so uh, this is when he goes to Ben Stein, right? So he goes to Ben Stein to kind of learn about the mask because Ben Stein is this guy that has a book out that's like, uh, we all wear masks. Which I think is a hilarious title. <laughs> Don't we? Oh, <laughs> I think it's hilarious that that was the title of the book. And I, I was just like, oh, God, we all wear masks. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Mostly like, the lizard people, but you know. <laughs> two years ago, I wouldn't have thought that was as funny as it is now. Um, yeah, so Ben Stein, of all people, which did you know that Ben Stein was like a financial advisor for Bill Clinton, I think. No. Yeah. He was, he worked for the Bill Clinton president. This is a weird synchronicity because when we talk about me, myself and Irene, there's a Clinton connection. I've got to point out later on. Oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fucking the Clintons everywhere. Oh my God. Yeah, dude. I'm pretty positive. It was the Clinton because he's kind of, I think he's not, he's not a Republican. So it would have had to have been the Clinton. Um, but yeah, he was a financial advisor. He was on the cabinet. He was on Clinton's cabinet. Um, and that's how he ended up getting some of the stuff that he got. Like he got a, he got a TV show called Ben Stein's money. Um, and kind of, and it, cause I mean, most of us from, you know, that were born in the seventies, we remember Ben Stein as being the guy from Ferris Bueller's day off. Yeah. Bueller. Bueller. Yeah. yeah. That's what I remember him from. Yeah, of course. He was the prof- <laughs> he was one of the teachers in Ferris yeah. Bueller. Do you think he think he was purposely placed in a lot of these um, high cultural impact films then? Yes, for sure. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's not an accident. I mean, I mean, I guess theoretically he could have just been this, you know, 
economics money guy, this banker dude that was just like, you know what? I've always wanted to act, but I never really did. I went after, you know, my career like I was supposed to. And then once he, you know, made a little bit of money, he was like, fuck it, I'm going to try out for some role. It, that very well could be, I have to allow that to be a possibility. You have you to know. plan. You have to yeah. recognize that is a possibility as well. Yeah, that is a possibility. Although, although if, you're, if you're chummy with the Clintons, just right. saying. Uh, when you start, uh, when it turns out you're tied to the Clintons, that's when I'm like, be, this wonder if he's ever been on the Low Leader Express then possibly i mean possibly. Look, at, look at the guy he looks like somebody uh, who would pay for sex yeah yeah i have to go out to a secluded island for it too and he did <laughs> you know he did a bunch of visine commercials which i think when big you know people that already have money are doing stupid commercials like that i'm like is this an embarrassment ritual is this like is, is visine an eye drop yes so he's telling people that they need to clear their vision and say what's really going on yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's that's pretty astounding too i hadn't thought about that but yeah <laughs> put these in there so you can see properly wow and and he's tied to the clintons yeah good job ben stein but anyway um so he has this conversation with with stanley about how we all like like the title of the book we all wear masks and he convinces stanley that he shouldn't go as either himself or the mask he should go as both because he because is both himself are, he and is, the mask. He's yeah. the one. He's the one thing. Yep. Which leads to him going to the nightclub where we see his song and dance routine with Tina. During this song, the post-kiss scene, he gets shot. And when he's shot at, it cuts his tie off mid-shot. His tie falls to the ground and reverts back to his original pajamas. Yeah. Not the clothes he's wearing, suggesting that everything around him is an illusion. He's physically yes. still Stanley, but it's an illusion around him. Right. Yeah, which is, it, you know... It makes you wonder if the entire thing is a very Tyler Durden situation. You know, like, did any of this actually happen? Was it all in his imagination? Was he just going to the club and sitting there with his friend kind of shy and he just imagined all of this stuff happening? Because that very well could be it, is that the whole show is just this mental projection from this guy. I mean, he could have just gotten the mask and it never did anything. And this is all you know, something that's in his mind that played out theoretically if this mask was magic. It could have all Absolutely. been a dream state kind of situation. His deep-seated uh, narcosis. Right. <laughs> so in this, in this same scene, there's actually a, um, I don't know if you picked up on it, there's a Mandela effect within this one scene. Oh, yes. He, he kisses Tina, the Tina's boyfriend and his cronies come along and start shooting at him. He gets hit. He fakes the death scene. Goes through all the lines of movies where you're a dying character, right? And then out of nowhere, someone hands him an award and he goes through what Sally Fields said, but butchers it completely. He says, thank you. You love me. You really, really love me. Whereas yeah. what Sally Fields said was, you like me. You really like me. I don't think Hollywood has the capacity to screw that up when they're writing such perfect names right. for characters. That they I wrote, can't I reference that something that actually too. happened. Good. Yep. Yep, because yeah. I saw that and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> they put it in here. Like, I don't remember that part. They put it in. <laughs> yeah, and he's, you love me instead of like me. And and that was something that I saw recently on some something that was about the Mandela effect was that. And it was like the movie clip. And then Sally Fields 
getting her award and then everybody kind of doing it you know her it like it was this weird mashup but yeah it was it was very clearly you know one way and then everybody does it another way and and i was just like man i hadn't noticed that um, <laughs> and then so so i had just watched that that mandela effect video when not too long before this so when i saw it i was like oh shit <laughs> that's awesome and then but um so so he obviously doesn't get hurt in this in this thing because what he does is he gets shot a bunch and that's when he like sucks all the bullets in or wait was that him that did that that's the the protagonist that's the that's other the, uh, that is the yeah, protagonist. That's all right i'm jumping story. the gun yeah yeah that's i'm right. jumping the gun a bit so um after this scene what it, what happens i my notes start jumping around we see tina again he goes back to the bank he's disheveled looking and he starts getting grilled by the lieutenant like the lieutenant knows it's, it's ipkiss or something on there and tina arrives again wearing a red dress for the second time yes oh and a side note about the cops so the entire time that the cops are investigating everything we have this main cop but and he seems frustrated, but it paints the cops as these bumbling idiots the whole time. Like they're Especially just, his partner. His yeah. partner's a complete twit. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Everything, yeah. everybody except that main cop is completely ignorant. Like they're all idiots. And even he's an idiot, but he's like a genius by comparison. And so he's frustrated with all the other stupid cops the entire. And I thought that was really funny to watch the whole time is that it just openly mocks the police the entire time. Ironically, the Lieutenant's name in word magic means pebbles. So his name is pebbles. <laughs> Stanley's name means like stone field. So, yeah. so he can see what's going on because he's a part of the field. That's so insane. But yeah. So, so the cops are these incompetent things that can't solve it. So incompetent yeah. that when the, the Cuban beats scene starts where he starts the, show routine with maracas and everything and dancing around all of them jump in and join in yeah all, and that, all of them the, all in. of them and it, and i saw that as like can you, you may not know of this but there was a craze in medieval europe called the dancing sickness where people would become so irate and dance and jump around they couldn't control themselves to the point where they would either drop to the ground of exhaustion or they'd die and no one knows what caused it holy shit that's insane and we're seeing this from his influence of his powers or whatever he's got. Those people were doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. They were dancing uncontrollably. Yeah. And so uh, this movie is so crazy. I hadn't watched it in so long when I watched it the other day. And my wife was like, you're going to fall asleep. <clears throat> I ended up not falling asleep. Amazingly. I, I made it through the whole movie because I, I was like, oh, shit, I, for I forgot how good this movie is. Because um, I hadn't seen it in 20 years, at least. Um, but yeah, so. So the dance scene was good, and of course he gets away. Oh yeah. no! And wait, with that, he escapes they... with the help the help of Peggy. So he's fleeing from the police who are on him, and Peggy arrives in a car out of nowhere to help Stanley, who's removed the mask at this point. So the mask is around when we see Tina for the most part, and it's Stanley is around when we see Peggy. So it's the two personalities and they've got their both different directions that we're not sure on whether he's going to right. go to and one is usually wearing a red dress and the other one yep. has red hair yep and so. he opens up to peggy and says peggy i'm losing control i can be anything yeah he admits so he's understanding he, the powers that he has yeah he, he knows what's happening that he's out of he's 
he's not as in control as he would like to be, but he kind of likes it. Like, like I, I can do anything. <laughs> and they have this, this dialogue, and I'll read it out. Whatever the mask is, you don't need it, Stanley. Stanley Ipkiss, you are already all you ever need to be. And Stanley, this is like that connection part again. We think, oh, yeah, this is the woman he's going to be with. And he says, oh, do you really mean that? Uh, actually, no. And then the door opens and Dorian and his group of thugs arrive to collect him for the bounty yep. so that she sold him out for. So yep. instantly we're flipped at this character was actually manipulating the whole time, but we were being manipulated as viewers thinking she was the good one. Right. Yeah. So we we have that inversion where the one we thought was the good one was the bad one. And then we start to learn that the bad one was the good one. You know, we start and her reasoning for it is, I can't lose my condo. <laughs> so she's stuck in that financial system of, I can't lose my condo. That's right. the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. So it so doesn't matter if you die, but I can't lose my condo. Alluding to this debt trap that we're in. Yeah. You know, where, where we are slaves to these systems that we put ourselves in. And, you know, and that's a, that's, that's a mindset in that, where she says she can't lose her condo. And in Stanley saying that he's losing control. And he can do anything. So he's he's becoming a slave to the mask where where it's taking, you know, this impulse, this lack of it, impulse control is is what's taking over. And he's a slave to that. So there's this mentality that you're you're out, you're you're being controlled by an outside from yourself in both of those. And so the seductive nature of that is he can do and be anything he wants, and that's what keeps drawing him back to it. Yeah, of course. Because you know, he's lived this meek life that oh this is intoxicating to be able to do whatever you the things you've all he nailed the dialogue in this he nails it perfectly and this is what stanley says when he's talking about the mask and his revelations of what's going on it's like it brings your innermost desires to life if deep down inside you're a little repressed and a hopeless romantic you become some kind of love crazy wild man and that's what we see in his character when he becomes the mask he's that over the top Love starved, Peppy Le Pew yeah. type of a character. Yep. Uh, that's yep. exactly what I was going to say. Was Peppy Le Pew um, to the point to where the the woman doesn't like it? They're like, no, no, yeah. no, no. Uh, and I think Stanley starts to realize, you know, that it is too over. It is too much. This this thing that he thought that he wanted to be isn't actually what women want. When he thought that's what women wanted, and it's the over the over way he over sexualizes the way he's talking to her. <laughs> As well, yeah. like everything's sexual innuendo. Everything. And he thinks he's being cool. Everything is. Yeah. yeah. And she's grossed out by it. And she has that look of you're becoming a little bit rapey for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a boner killer. Like that's <laughs> done. You don't want, you don't want that. Um, and I think he realizes that, like at least the inner Stanley does. So he doesn't want to be like, um, because he's being shot down after after such success, you know. Um, and that affects him. It affects him through even the mask. I think, you know, the, that outer personality the, that he had put on with the mask couldn't deny the fact that he was being t- still turned down, which it's almost like the, the entity is like wearing him like a glove. But at the end of the day, Stanley still has that control and he slowly realizes that because the right. one thing he wants, he's pushing away that he thought he had control over. So that he has to take control again because the mask isn't doing it for him anymore. Right. It's becoming a hindrance. And it is. And we're coming up to the point where he loses the map. So um, why don't why don't you fill in some gaps here? We're. Uh, yep. So he's been sold out by he's, his secondary love interest, Peggy. 
Right. He's been caught by Dorian and his men. She tells Dorian exactly how the mask works and what to do with it. Dorian puts the mask on and instantly, before he's even putting on, dark clouds and lightning start swirling around his head and then engulf him, which is very the complete opposite of what we saw in the transformation for Stanley. We see the darker side of it. And once again, we hear thunder in the background. Yep. Um, Dorian, there wasn't any actual word magic I could associate with that. Um, it's the closest thing it links to um, Sparta, Greece, and that was it, son of Doris, which doesn't seem like an overly big one. Um, okay. So he's been, ca- he's been captured. They're about to throw him into like a wood chipper type of a deal. And Dorian at the last minute decides if the cops want a mask, we'll give him a mask. And they plant a rubber mask on him and they dump him at the police station thinking they've got their mask now. I've got the real mask. I can take over the town. I can be the big kahuna. Yeah, because when he puts on the mask, he gets to, he, he's this huge, muscly, you know, big face, strong chinned dude. Sharp teeth, eyes yeah. are red. Stanley's eyes. eyes remain Stanley's eyes. His revert to pure evil. Yeah. So his inner demons, you know, this is where you can get to the, to the demonic nature of it. Is this was kind of more of a possession, a demonic possession, red-eyed, green-faced monster with sharp teeth that, you know, just wants to destroy and take over, uh, which the dude looks badass. I mean, he, he looks like he's not to be fucked with. That's for yeah, sure. I would mess with him. <laughs> and then so Stanley realizes he's gotta he's gotta figure it out. Like he's gotta save his woman, which he realizes is the Cameron Diaz character, Tina, not the other one. And she was actually genuine the whole time. She was being used by Dorian, but she had actual interest in Stanley the whole time. Right. Um let's talk about how Stanley escapes jail. He's locked up now. What's oh, the mechanism yes. that helps this him escape? Is, this is so good. It's his dog. <laughs> We, I don't think we have talked enough about his movie. His dog it's Milo, not- and Milo means Milo. beloved one, beloved My- one, beloved one. Milo. Milo is so amazing in this movie. He's just the ultimate dog. He completely understands everything Stanley says. You know, like they are, they are kindred spirits. To say, you know, they, <laughs> they understand each other on a level that you you never connect with a dog. Every if I've had a few connection with do- connections with dogs. That- that were that good over my life. Uh, so I get it. And this dog just knows. He can tell him anything. And he follows him. The dog follows him to jail and sits right outside that back window waiting. And so he's sitting in there and he he sees that Milo came and he told Milo, like, hey, I'm going to be in here for a while, man. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get out of here, but we're screwed. And then, you know, sometime later, he realizes he can get the keys from the guard that had fallen asleep. And so he again shouts out to in the alleyway that's behind the police station through these bars to Milo. <laughs> you know, it's very old school comic y where, the, you know, it's just bars. It's, there's not like an actual window <laughs> that backs onto an alleyway that you that can get out of. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so he calls Milo up and Milo climbs the wall, you know, does multiple attempts, finally gets all the way up and he grabs him. And Milo goes over and steals the keys from the sleeping guard and he's able to get out and right when he's reaching to grab the gun from the cop which i think is a bold move from stanley so we have seen this character arc of this meek dude going to where he is breaking out of jail as stanley and reaching for a gun 
So yeah, he's, he's reached his hero development. Yes, he is. He's developed quite nicely where <laughs> he's like, I have to do this stuff. He's growing the balls to do it on his own. And he reaches for the gun and the cop wakes up. And so he knocks the cop out <laughs> with his gun. And then he goes to open the door to get out. And the main cop is right there. And he has to put the gun in the main cop's face, which I think is it's just showing how far he's able, he's he's willing to go now. You know, he's reached this this pinnacle of his character development where he he is now the brave person without the mask. And we're forgetting the catalyst that made him escape the, the jail cell is that he views and oversees Tina getting taken by Dorian and his men screaming for help. And he goes to the cop, hey, there's a woman getting abducted out there. And the right. cop's like, pipe, right. pipe down in there. Right. So, so he's, he's doing it to save his woman. Save someone. Yeah. 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 The, the woman he realized was his love interest. Um, he's finally driven in the right way to, to become this person that he should, you know, he, he didn't think he could be. And so he holds the gun to the, the main cop's face and he's able to get out of the jail. And then my notes fall apart. I, well, I um, see there's there's a carving during this scene when he's getting out of jail. You see above the police station, there's this really weird carving of like goats and like there's this like main figure in the middle of the carving that's kind of like priest godlike. And there's other people. There's like I didn't count the people because were there two goats? There might have been. Yes. If there's two goats, it's a representation of Thor. Okay. Thor had two goats there in were a chariot. Two, yeah. Yep. There might have been a goat on each wing because there was a center character and then there were multiple characters on either side. And I think they were they were kind of mirrored, but not really. Like there was an equal number of characters on each side of the center character. Um and it was I saw that and I was like, oh, but I, mm. I try not to. I try not to pause and rewind as much because yeah, wife, I try to let it. I try to, yeah. I try to just let it play because my wife gets super annoyed. So. My wife said, "I didn't realize the mask goes for three hours." <laughs> Did I? <laughs> yeah, I try to write it through and then I just scribble stuff down. So like my notes are just kind of a mess. I will get honed in a little better <laughs> as we go. I promise. Um, but yeah, I thought that was. Um, that was a really weird, weird part of the movie. And then I have my last note is very cryptic. Um, it says War Orphans Fund. Now, this is the charity ball that was going on that he was going to save Tina. And so the main mob boss, after he gets out of jail, he knows that this event is going on. And the main mob boss is like the, the head figure of this charity ball that is up for war orphans, orphans. <laughs> which I just saw that. And I was like, Oh God, Freaking all in a giant piggy bank hanging from a, the sky with a giant pig in the sky, like, which is a lot of different symbolism, <laughs> you know, because pigs are the closest thing to humans. So there's, there's an idea that we possibly came from them in some way that their DNA was used to create us possibly and mixed with the, you know, the, the, DNA of the gods, whatever. Um, that's a very Anunnaki story kind of shit. But yeah. Um, and then you have a, a pig in the air. So, like, when pigs fly, fly. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it's just so we've got the military industrial complex woven into this as well. Into, yeah, woven into the, the mob. Yeah. And, <laughs> and government, that, the mayor's there. And as well. that, and that, so all the leadership of this edge city are all there together mingling. Yes. 
all of them because because uh, they all get along it's very uh, symbolic of how things you know they all all of these big characters that act like they're against each other at the end of the day they come together and shake hands and break bread because they're all on they realize they're all on the same side <laughs> yeah i'm sure it's like your congress is a lot like our parliament as soon as question time or the debate is over they cross the floor they shake hands they go out for bre- for breakfast together like yes yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's absolutely. Oh, don't don't insane. forget to buy shares in this company. Yeah, well, it's like uh, it's like lawyers and judges, you know, or or lawyers against other lawyers. You lawyers, know, they'll, yeah. they'll fight vigorously against each other, and then be like, "All right, that was a good one, man. Let's have lunch." <laughs> and these motherfuckers just paid us a shitload of money, so let's go eat some steak. At uh, one yeah, point, so. we missed. That's a, that's a really big one. Is that the mask only works during the night? Doesn't work during daytime. Oh, right. Yeah. Which Loki is a night god. Night god. Yeah. Um, so we've got Dorian now busts into this event and gets his men to shoot at the current mob boss. Um, the mob boss stands up, puts 20 rounds into him, essentially, empties a clip, and he sucks in, like you said, and shoots it out of his mouth very cartoonishly, kills the mob boss, and now he's the, the big kingpin. Yeah. So he has um, achieved we- his goal. He's achieved his goal. And he's trying to finish it off by blowing everything up. But he, interestingly enough, ties Tina to what looks like a, it's supposed to be a palm tree, like a a man-made palm tree, but he ties it to it and places a bomb at her feet, almost like a sacrifice. And he's going to blow her up with it. Uh, At which point Stanley comes in to try and save the day. He's, He's grown some balls. He gets a gun. He's hiding. He gives a gun to his friend, Charlie, who goes off to sneak people out. And as he's building up all the courage to go and do something, gun to his temple. Ipcus, get up. And he's caught by Dorian and his men, which leads to a, a, a fight in which he, uh, Dorian doesn't have the mask anymore because Tina seduces him into having a kiss, but not a kiss from the mask Dorian, but from the original Dorian himself. So he takes it off, gives her a kiss. She loosens her foot off, kicks the mask away, which causes both Dorian and Stanley to fight. And Stanley actually gives him a good kicking. Yes. Yeah. Like actually, yeah, he beats he's the shit finally out of grown some balls and actually beats the shit out of this dude. You know, he's on top of him, just wailing on him. It's amazing. It's a great scene. The character arc is just fantastic. And throughout this, we see um, Milo wears the mask at one point and saves the day and then gives the mask back to Stanley. Stanley flushes Dorian down the he paints like a, a flush symbol on a post, right? And he flushes him. And Dorian's in a water pool and he gets flushed down. Like yeah. he's flushing a turd. Yeah, because at this club, you know, there was like the pool. It's like this tropical. Yeah, like know, a Coco Bec Cabana. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Very, very cabana. So, and so he, he, flushes, paints, he flushes him down the train. Flushes the turd of the story, which is our bad guy. And it ends with the film of Stanley's there with his dog, his best friend, Charlie, and his woman. So all the important people in his life. It's at sunrise. So the sun is rising on his life. And he says to Tina one last time, should I keep it or am I enough for you? And she said something along the lines of you are always enough for me. And she's the one to throw the mask away. Right. Not Stanley himself, which brings me to my theory on the whole demonic possession type of feel of it. Tina, as I said, means a follower of Christ. So if she's a follower of Christ and she's helping him throughout this journey, she helps Stanley overcome the pagan god Loki's possession and helps him realize his true self right. throughout all of this. 
it's almost like she's the she performs the, the exorcism. The exorcism, yeah. yeah, yeah, yep. And she she eliminates the pagan entities from the story. Yeah, she tosses it, and you know, and happy ending as as they generally are with Jim Carrey movies. You know, he's very much like Adam Sandler. He always gets the girl. You know, <laughs> always works out in the end. Yep, yep. It's a very Jim Carrey style of things <laughs> to happen. Um, but it, and then, you know, he's he's got the girl and the mask goes into the river again. Right. It doesn't it go into water. He th- she throws it into the um, the bypass of the, the river yeah. and his friend Charlie dives in after it. Right. Like Charlie, the guy who's been so over the top and full of charisma and actually outgoing. But we know he actually can't get the girls thinks he needs it now. Yeah. Seeing his friend's journey. And of course, Milo jumps in and steals it away from Charlie when he's trying to get it. And then that's it. That's the film. Yeah, because because Milo had already tasted it. Milo <laughs> knew he wants it. Milo yeah, knew that's right. He wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really bummed. Was there ever a mask too? There wasn't. Was there? There was. There's a son of mask, and it's oh, the same character, Jesus. Charlie Ipkiss. But this one, it's one of those like I think it was a director DVD type of deals where. Loki himself actually comes down to try and get the mask back. And there's the actual gods of Thor and Odin represented in it as physical really? entities. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch that. I didn't know. If, uh, Stanley's yeah. son, a baby, wears the mask for the majority of the film. Oh, that's probably why I didn't watch it. Yeah. That's probably why I deleted that out of my memory. As well. I was like, yeah. that seems really stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a cash in job. Like, when you can't get the guy that made it famous back for a sequel, you know, it's going to be trash. Yep. So, so that's the mask. Um, it's a, uh, it's basically, you know, in the very, very normal person view, it's a, uh, it's a study of how a character can overcome um, what they think is impossible to, you know, and being able to do the things, you know, you always had it in you, you know, kind of, kind of message that you can do these things. You just have to want. To. And it also emphasizes the the point that outside forces or physical things might give you that sense of getting what you want but at the end of the day it's not actually you it's not you doing it it's like having a ferrari to get a girl the girl's not there for you she's there for the ferrari and that's essentially what the mask was the whole time and he realized that in his character journey yeah that he didn't need it after all you know she liked him from the beginning um and it was never about the mask he thought it was when she danced with him um but it turns out that he, and and he has that in him you know it was just this this outward projection of what he couldn't couldn't do and then he realized he could so you assume they go on to have a nice little happy life with their dog and everything and, and everything is fine um i'm disappointed that the second one isn't more about the dog that would that the would dog have been a better movie the, yeah it would have been the dog wears the mask in the film for memory but it's definitely about the kid more than anything else yeah, that's a bummer, yeah. man. I think yeah. the dog one would have been the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, what are, what are your final thoughts on this movie? It's like we discussed, it's not as obvious as what the Truman Show was. The, right. I think the Truman Show just put it all out on the table and they didn't care. This one, you definitely had to look deep for it. A um, lot of colours, as we said, represented a lot of things. The way that the characters were wearing different types of dresses represented a lot. The names, the level of names within the characters that we're exposed to and the meanings that drive the story that if you didn't look for it, you wouldn't know it's there. So it's either done for a reason for the writer's own sake of saying, I did that, or it's deliberately in our face as a form of word magic 
and some kind of draining of our loose or our own energy when we're watching it because essentially it's casting a spell every time you watch it. Right. Yep. Every single time. And if yeah, you're not aware I, of it. Well, and, and you know, I've thought about that too. Like the people that see more of it, like we do, are we putting more energy into it <laughs> since <laughs> we're not. seeing this stuff? Like, <laughs> like, or is it only getting energy if it is subconscious? Like, does it give less of the magic if we see it? Food for thought. You know, it it's is. like if you know the magician's trick, is it as is it really magic anymore? Is yeah. It, yeah, is it as impressive? No. And so maybe maybe when we do see it, it doesn't put as much energy. It doesn't have the the magic power that maybe. So that was the mask, man. That was and it was I forgot how good it was. I loved it. Uh, I can't believe I stayed awake for it because I generally fall asleep from these like I did for the next movie. Um, <laughs> but luckily, I know the next movie a lot better. Um, I don't have very many notes, so you'll have to basically lead the way on the next one. Um, <laughs> I can do that. But uh, I've seen this one, God, no less than 10 times. Me, myself, and Irene. It's a classic. It's a classic Jim Carrey movie. You know, This, this is generally something I'd watch a couple of times a year as well. So yeah, it's, like, it's just one of those good shows. You can sit there and watch it and enjoy it. But it was interesting going back and watching something that gives me joy because it's so funny and deliberately looking for things this time that put yeah. a twist on it um but let's lay the scene this story is about charlie bailey gates he's a rhode island state trooper um an 18 year veteran and it starts off with him marrying the girl of his dreams the right prettiest girl in town smartest girl the blonde the blue-eyed bombshell like the stereotypical story of what um like suburban america would be like 1950s suburban america right and that's how it starts off um Charlie, here's that word magic again. Charlie is Germanic meaning free man, which we discussed earlier with Charlie from the previous movie. Bailey means agent of law or debt collector, which is ironic that he's a police officer who <laughs> collects debts for the state. Yep. Um, and he's an agent of the law. And Gates, the last part of his surname, is English for dweller at the gates. So someone who dwells at the gates, which comes across like, in that he, he never really leaves Rhode Island. He's always dwelling there. So as a character... He's a free man, air quotes, that's an agent of the law that dwells in the one place and never goes or does anything. Yeah, yeah, which I think is, it, it all plays in, you know, well, and it could also be, you know, Gates, like it could just be that he is a gatekeeper, you know, as mm. as a police officer, you know, as a highway patrolman, because highways are the gates to the rest of the country. You know, that's how you get everywhere. And so they are the, the gatekeeper. The modern day road tax. That's what they're yeah. there for. And it opens with an old school song. Uh, yeah. Highway Patrol. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just he's doing my job. job. Uh, highway Patrol. Yeah, it's a very statist beginning. Very uh, much so. Very much, you know. Pop Americana. Worship. Yeah, very yep. police worship. Uh, uh, his wife's name is Layla. So he's the woman he marries at the start. Layla in Arabic means night or dark. So that's foreboding, the quick yeah. nosedive that the relationship has. Um, and ironically, she ends up shacking up with a dark-skinned man. I don't know if that's a connection, but she ends up cheating on him with a, um, a midget named Shantae, who's a limo driver for their, for their wedding day. Right. So he gets home from the wedding, from the freaking wedding. The wedding. Uh, and he he's bringing his wife in, carrying her across, across the, the threshold. threshold. And he puts her down and he turns around and he says, 
does you do you people take checks what do you mean you people <laughs> he's like what we you don't think we have checking accounts and he gets all fucking pissed and he's like no no, no. Oh, so it's and, a racist thing and so she comes out and she's like oh my god what did you say and the limo driver which is insane this shows you how much she cares about charlie is the limo driver's like he's a racist and she just turns to him to charlie like what the fuck dude instead don't of use that word in this household instead of like hey you know let's take it easy i know charlie he's not racist what's going on you know that's something i noticed even the first time i watched this i was like why does she not have charlie's back like that's fucked up like <laughs> she's she was bound to cheat eventually that's right and ironically they're married in spring it's actually states the narrator says they were married in, in a wonderful spring day it just happens to coincide with that's probably when she's the most fertile and she cheats on oh shit on she's him all and, horny. And, is imp- and, she's all, and she's impregnated at the same time probably by the looks of yes it. so so she's sitting there and she's talking to that guy and he's like hey look i'm just I'm just a limo driver for a social experiment. I'm actually like the president of my chapter of Mensa. And then she says, really? Because I'm the, I'm, pre- I'm the president of my chapter, chapter, president. chapter president of my Mensa. Um, and so there are these two supposedly highly intellectual people that are of like the top, you know, percentage of intellectual people in the world are in Mensa. Mensa means table, you know, it's like Mesa, like, a round table of the you know smartest people that's what it and means that, and, and they you see that they instantly gravitate towards each other yeah uh and, and before the before the story progresses it shows it's almost like a, a a shot of how everyone knows what's going on in his world except him he's just blocking it all out he goes to church to give confession and he's explaining about all the things he's noticing about his wife and he's concerned that she's having an affair and he's worried about the way he's feeling inside and it feels like he's going to explode and the priest says uh is that you charlie is that you yeah yeah they already know and he ducks and they already know everyone in town's talking about it. everybody knows that charlie again again he's this weak easily manipulated walked on guy you know he it's the same type of character that we were introduced in the mask where he's and the just, Truman Show, he doesn't understand the true reality of what's going on around him, and everyone right. else does. Right? Yeah, it does have a very Truman Show vibe. He's in the dark, or and but here it's it's voluntarily. He's keeping himself in the dark just to kind of keep shit together. So his wife leaves him. He never takes a after she has triplets. after she has three babies that are all black, and when the first one comes out. The doctor's like, uh, 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 and all he says is he's holding the baby. Wow, <laughs> wow, <laughs> and you can see he's repressing his anger and bottling it up at that point. Yes, and so, and then she's she's like, puh, puh, puh. and they she has to push again, and that's when they realize more are on the way, and he ends up with three triplet black babies who are incredibly smart. Uh, the three boys are Jamal. Lee Harvey, which kind of Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, and Shantae Jr. And if he didn't know that they weren't his kids, that Shantae Jr. has to settle it in because the guy, his name's Shantae. Shantae Jr. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, so you kind of get an idea of how kind of dense 
Charlie is at, at this point. That <laughs> he's just he's he's just kind of a dense guy. He goes along. He's just kind of just avoids all confrontation, which is weird for a high highway patrolman. You know, that's a weird dynamic for somebody in the highway patrol. But you know, there's a moment where he's at the barbecue and his kids are uh, playing in the pool, and his 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 colleague comes over. <laughs> he's like, "Hey, Charlie, you ever notice how?" Uh, your kid's kind of having a all year tan <laughs> and the water beads off the hair. Yeah. Well, my, my great grandma was half Italian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he's kind of the butt of the town. Like he's just a joke to everyone. Because and you say that in the, of- you say that in the progression, all the town lose all respect for him. Like at the start, he's an upstanding member of the community. People love him. They go to his wedding and you see that, that respect for him or acceptance of him at, dwindles over time like people see that he's been been shafted and he's been cuckold for sure he's got someone he's else's kid yeah. um and, and they just stop respecting him and you see that in the, his interactions with the townsfolks later on but the dog shits on his lawn from the neighbor the neighbor's wife takes the paper to read it on the shitter and he asks if he can have it back and the neighbor says can't you just get one from work and he's confronted and says yeah i could get one from work um the guys in the barber shop um, laugh at him all the time. His car's been parked out on the front street for three days straight. And he says, come on, you really have to move your car. And he goes, yeah, sure. Just move it around the back. Throws him his keys. Like no one has respect for him as a policeman. As a man. A man, as a man, yeah. As a man, they don't, they, they don't respect him at all. Like he just gets completely shit on by everyone. And you see the old man in the barber shop that's just like, uh, like, <laughs> the old man's like fuck, you could see the old man feel sorry like, yeah god damn even the scene where there's there's a mother putting her kid in the car and she's got quite a large set on her and all the guys are ogling her going oh check those out those are great it looks like two hindenburgs in a dead hate race yeah and he jumps in with come on guys she's a mum," and everyone laughs at him because he's actually respecting her and not jumping in with the guys and right. they think it's a joke yeah. So he's got that nice guy personality we always see in the films that yeah. always has him second place. Yeah, yeah. And and it, it's also a mockery of doing of being a decent human, right? Like it's mocking being a decent like if you're a nice person, then people are, you know, that's a that's a kind of an underlying message in this is that if you're a nice person, so what's the point of being a nice person? Like yeah. you have to be a dick or else people are going to walk. So um this is about the point oh it's it's a store scene right so after that he he walks away from the barbershop he's still kind of feeling this rage but he repressed it and he went to the groceries and he was getting a new straw that breaks the camel's back he was getting the newspaper that his neighbor had taken he grabs the newspaper and that's about all he's got right it's just a newspaper and he walks up to the register. And of course, this is a small community in Rhode Island. So some lady walks up behind him and he's like, hey, Charlie, you mind if I get in front of you? I'm in a terrible rush. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Because all she, all he sees is her. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> and she's like, come on. And her kids come with two carts full of groceries and get in front of him. And this is where it just it breaks him. He just can't do it anymore. You can see him doing his Jim Carrey stuff where he's just like contorting and like his face and like he's twitching and 
turning inside out. This is when everything happened. He starts and, wigging out. <laughs> and he he switches. And you see like this moment where it's like a new person. After this happens, it's like a new person in a body. And it looks down and it's like, oh, what the fuck? Like, okay, cool. I got a gun. And, like, yeah, it notices the gun. He holds the gun and goes, oh, yeah, that's good. All right. All right. <laughs> and so he's he's there and he's like, okay. And he sees Vagic Lens <laughs> on, on the little, you know, line for the car, <laughs> on the conveyor belt. <laughs> <laughs> and he says... He says to her, he's like, oh, what's that? What's going on? You got a little extra cheese on your taco. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets on the PA and announces it for a price check. A <laughs> uh, price check on Vagiclans. Somebody's Somebody's got something funky going down. Whatever it says. It's a hilarious scene. And the look on the lady's face is just, what? So this is when we're, this is this where is we're, we're introduced. In- yeah, we're introduced to his his alternate personality, which is Hank Evans. Yes, uh, Hank as German in origin means home ruler, so in a lot of ways he's ruling Charlie's body, and Evans means the Lord is gracious. So we know that Hank as a character holds himself in pretty high esteem and thinks pretty highly of himself, and he's ruling um, Charlie's life when Charlie just drops the ball and everything he does. Yeah, yeah, he takes over and he does the things, and again. It's another revenge flip, right? Where as soon as he turns into Hank, he starts going on. And after he leaves the grocery store, he goes and gets that guy's car that he had parked. (laughs) And he drives it through the barbershop in this epic crash. And they're (laughs) all just sitting there. And again, the old man, it looks like the old man's like, I get it. Yep. (laughs) And then he goes to to the mom that he had earlier defended and he removes the baby from her boob and puts himself on it in this <laughs> insane scene where <laughs> Jim Carrey is just sucking on this lady's breast. <laughs> and this is the point in the film where my wife stopped, turned to look at me and said, what the fuck are we watching? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, like you said, he goes out for his revenge. He goes back to his neighbors. He shits on their lawn himself, reading goes, the newspaper. He, he goes and gets it. On the lawn. He, yes, he goes and steals the newspaper. The newspaper back, walks right in, grabs the newspaper, <laughs> and just drops trowel and takes a dump on his neighbor's lawn while his neighbor is standing there watering his lawn. <laughs> and you can see, like, he's forcing it. Like he's squeezing it. <laughs> Like trying to make himself shit, and then that cuts to uh yogurt being put in a cup for the captain. <laughs> and some the lady cop rolls up and she says, Come on, captain, something's wrong with Charlie. And, and this is like, when we, yeah, this is when we find out what's going on with Charlie. And Charlie's um commanding officer says, Um, he's talking to him, and Charlie says, Hank is trying to get out, and he's boss says you created him by not dealing with your problems like someone's actually said it to him like you're not dealing with the shit in your life and you've created this mess yeah at this point in time charlie is in front of his commanding officer and the other officer that was talking about his kids with the year-round tan and he's <laughs> and they both are standing there like dude 
you didn't deal with this shit. Why didn't you take a break when your wife left? Like, why haven't you dealt with this shit? You have just rolled over and that's what caused Hank to come out. Do you um, notice his reply to why he didn't take a break, though? He didn't want to leave the department short. Isn't yeah. that just the thing? Like, you see so many people in their job lives, like, if I don't take any sick days and I work every day, maybe the company will recognize it and promote me, which never happens. Never. So it's promoting that old school mentality of putting work before your life first. Right. Yeah, he was like, it wouldn't be fair for me to short the department. Um, so then he gets put on, he gets sent to a psychiatrist, you know, to the to the police psychiatrist, I would imagine, um, and put on two weeks leave. And, uh, well, he's told that when he does this thing, when he takes this trip and comes back, then he's going to have to go uh, on, on two leave. weeks leave. And they, and they he's- put him on pharmaceuticals. And he's diagnosed with advanced delusionary schizophrenia with narcissistic rage. <laughs> and I love the way he just calmly rattles yeah. all that off too. Yeah, it's so good. Just, I've, I've, got, I've got this little thing, advanced delusionary schizophrenia with narcissistic rage. No biggie. <laughs> yeah. And this, um, this is the point when he, we meet Irene, the character of Irene, which becomes his, his love interest. He gets assigned to taking her back to upstate New York. Um this character's named Irene Waters. Um, Irene in Greek means peace. Uh, um, so she's peaceful water, essentially. Um, she's the one that's as develops as a character. She's the one. She helps him a lot like the way Tina helped the mask Stanley right. in our previous film. Um, but he's assigned to her. He's got to take her back to upstate New York and, and they take off. And that's where the story really begins for this movie. Yeah. So his captain says, you know, we're going to let him take a break after this. Um, and the female officer um, is like, okay, we're going to let him come back. And was it, the commanding officer yeah. says, if we let him. And she's like, but this is Charlie's life. And he's like, I know, I know. He's and a liability. Like, he's a liability, though. Yeah, he says he's a liability, um, which ultimately shows you that, you know, you don't mean shit. It doesn't matter. Your job doesn't <laughs> no. care about you. It ultimately comes down to whether or not you're a liability. Um, so they take off on a motorcycle because apparently she has something that is going on and it comes out that she is tied in with another kind of mob like situation. We see these crime bosses in both of a lot of crime syndicates, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. We see these in both of these films, crime boss kind of situation is running, which is the woman that's always tied up and needs saving. Yeah. Which is this underlying message of you can buy the government. Like if you're powerful enough, you can just buy the government. Because in the mask, they or no, in this movie, um, it's something. Something's going on with the EPA. So the EPA is like after um, the big crime boss for whatever golf course or some shit. Yeah, um, and this is what I've got to ask you first: the EPA in America, the Environmental Protection Agency yeah. in Australia, they're essentially government pencil pushers that don't really hold much power. Do they literally have EPA agents in the States that are armed at all times? Oh, uh, yeah, probably. I would imagine so. <laughs> yeah. You guys have got a lot of departments stepping all over each other's feet, don't you? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing better than government redundancy, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? like, how would they spend all of our money if they weren't redundant about everything? So um, I just like have every moment of my life governed by the the powers that be because i can't run my life accordingly yeah exactly oh my Uh, god it's a nanny state for a reason (laughs) i mean i'd rather be under the crime boss 
I, th- I think I would have more in C under. I think they're a bit more humane. Crime syndicate. Yeah, that's significantly, uh, I believe. <laughs> but anyway, so at this point, um, Irene calls her ex-boyfriend Dickie. And Dickie is a lackey for this crime boss. Again, it's another lackey for a crime boss. Um, but Dickie is this kind of upper echelon, you know, guy. You're introduced to him and he is golfing. You know, in the middle of the day, he's just out golfing with a bunch of, um, and Irene calls him and tells him to back off. And, you know, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But then he calls his boss and they say that she's a threat. Like, she knows too much. And so this is when you realize there's there's going to be a hit put on her. And so we're we're about to get into some stuff on this road trip. So when you realize this isn't just going to be some simple. And so she inevitably escapes the hit attempt. And she naturally goes for Charlie. She goes to find the one guy she, who, the nice guy who's going to help her out. And she goes directly to him to walk in on him, lying on a bed, naked, <laughs> with a photo of her, her mugshot and a, a tube of hand lotion and a lot of questionable tissues. Yes, a lot of questionable tissues. Um, yeah, so he had, he had done this road trip and dropped her off where she was supposed to be. And these two EPA agents come up to her. And you're like, hey, we're from the EPA. Uh, we got a question here. And Charlie, this is this is a great scene of Jim Carrey's where you see, because he's had to take these pharmaceuticals uh, to keep Hank at bay, right? And so the the byproduct of these pharmaceuticals is, is cotton mouth. And there's this amazing scene at this police station where he does basically what he did as Fire Marshal Bill. And he turns his lips all the way inside where they're they're gone. His lips are gone and all you see is gums and teeth. <laughs> and it's so amazing. It's so good. And he can Jim Carrey can physically just do that. Like he can just do that. He just turn his lips inside to where they're gone completely. This isn't, you know, you see this scene and you think that there's some kind of uh makeup or something like they've glued his lips in. Nope. Anybody that watches this movie, Jim Carrey can just do that with his face on demand. Like it's insane to watch him do, um, but he can just manipulate his face and you see him turn his face inside out basically. Um, and he gets a, he gets a drink of water and he's like, all right, well, uh, I guess that's a, I just need somebody to sign this and I'm out of here. And he gets his paper signed and he takes off. And then she goes with the two EPA agents who end up being crooked. Um, and that's when she escapes and she goes to find Charlie in this hotel, uh, <laughs> basically jerking off to her mug shot. And he wakes up and says, oh, did the drive down give you chat lips? And he starts applying <laughs> it all to his lips in huge amounts. Hilarious. And she's basically like, whatever, I don't care. They're after me. This is you got to get me out of here. And so this is when, you know, the, the run, the chase is on. And we see the more we see the corrupt police departments that are also in on it as well. And yep. his idea is the only place they can go to is Rhode Island because it's this wonderful place where no one's crooked or connected. Right. And the plan is to go back there. Um, it's, it cuts back, and this is a connection to the Clintons. After Charlie is implicated on the abduction of of uh, of Irene, and his sons are notified. There's a scene before the police knock on the door. And it's Shante Jr. talking about, and I quote it, how the hell can they call Pluto a planet? What motherfucking planet has an elliptical orbit? This shit doesn't make no sense. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, according to the, the mainstream narrative, all planets have elliptical orbits. Right. But So it's, it's almost like he's throwing it in her face that he's missing saying what the narrative because it's all bullshit. Um, and then Jamal is hacking into the Pentagon files and he says, Vince W. Foster was murdered. Clinton murder because he served under the Deputy White House Counsel during the Clinton administration. And he was, they say that he was openly murdered in this film. Oh, shit. I didn't even catch that. Oh, my God. The Clinton death count has made its way to cinema. Yep. Well, it's, it's put there so, you know, people that say that it's real, you know, other people can just be like, whatever. You're just watching too many movies. <laughs> As they do, you know, it's you're watching too many movies. If they put it in the movies, it's it's obviously fantasy to a lot of people. Don't realize that this is where they put everything. <laughs> this is this is where they put everything they want to tell us. Um, so maybe, maybe that was just a message for everyone who knows about it. Hey, remember, we the Clintons tops Foster. Stay in line, or you're going to end up like him. Or that there there's probably that too. So as stated numerous times. I can't stay awake in these. <laughs> and this is about where I fell asleep. Now, I know a lot of the rest of the movie. I've seen this movie a bunch, but I'm going to need you to hold my hand and lead the way for the rest of this movie. And I will interact with your breakdown as we progress. Uh, Perfect. Because the last thing I have uh, in my notes is pharmaceuticals, how it's, you know, the pharmaceutical industry being pushed and that's what control you. Just take some pills and you'll be no, you'll be normal. There's a magic pill for everything. Yep. Uh, so it starts this road trip kind of story where they're traveling together and along the way they meet other characters. But during the whole time, it's Charlie coming to terms with who and what Hank is and explaining to, to Irene what's going on. And a great quote from him, what Hank's, what uh, Charlie says about Hank is that, he purposely distorts his perceptions to make his reality more palatable, which is yes. where we're living in. Yep. Um, and he says something along the lines of, um, Irene says something back to him. You, you do know that humans only use 10% of their potential, don't you? Which <laughs> yep. we're, we're very limited people. Um, so that's that conversation going on. They meet a character, an albino character, which oh, in God, cultures, about albino him. people are magical and if you hack body parts off and whatnot there. They have magic powers that you can get from them, especially in Africa. This albino guy, Whitey, a.k.a. Milky, with the real name Casper, has such thick glasses that on one side he has like a magnifying lens that he turns, and the whole time he's fiddling with it, he's always doing the the symbol, the eye. Oh, shit, the movie. Yeah. That's what I noticed. Um, well, didn't he, the, didn't he like kill his parents? Or he said he yeah. killed his parents? Yeah, he says something along those lines. I've, I've got the quote later on. It's hilarious. Um, they're driving in the car with with Casper um, now because he's joined them in their like little journey. And Charlie's like, "Oh, what's that? Oh, I got you, Irene." And then oh, she's like, "Oh, Charlie, you're so silly." And she's, "Oh my god, Charlie, what the hell is that? Oh, you're not going to get me with that one." And there's a fucking tarantula walking across him. <laughs> um, <laughs> and ironically. Uh, a spider is the representation of artistry, manifestation, patience, ancient wisdom, and illusion. <laughs> this is the like point where a I'm random like, spider scene that represents that. See, this is the point where I'm like, do they do they just put this stuff in there to make you want to like to make people like us go, oh well, what's the meaning of that? 
we that we look for these. yeah you know because to most people it's just an innocent spider scene that's not a big deal um but somebody that was involved in making this movie knows the symbolism in, <laughs> of that and put that there for a, like that wasn't just some you know on the freaking you know they didn't do storyboards we're like oh it'd be hilarious with the spider went across they they put that in there for the symbolism i'm absolutely um we start to see more interactions with hank especially when he sees things that are morally wrong like a guy parks a car into a disabled zone hank snaps takes control trashes the car to the point where the young guy who parked the car comes out with a man in a neck brace and a walking frame and it's his car <laughs> and Hank's there pissing in the fuel tank. Or the, the one where he approaches the guy that flicked his cigarette. Or the was baseball players. Yeah. yeah. It was the baseball players. And he comes up and he starts talking shit and he does this dance. Like he's going <laughs> to, he's, he's going to whoop some ass. He's doing this boxing shit and he just looks absolutely ridiculous. And the guy just pulls out a taser and lights him up. Like, <laughs> Zap <laughs> and Irene, and he's getting the shit kicked out of him on the ground. And Irene runs around. It's okay. He's just a schizo. He's just a schizo. <laughs> he's just a schizo. <laughs> and so he's all beat up, and then he's back to Charlie, and he's just like, "What the fuck?" Every time Hank comes forward and tries to do the moral thing or the right thing, and gets beaten up or hurt because of it, he reverts back to Charlie, and Charlie bears the pain of the choices that Hank's made. Right. Hank doesn't have to deal with much of the consequences nope. of his actions, which That's is right. also very telling. You know, it's it's the shaking off of responsibility. Like, you can do what you want. You know, you don't have to be able somebody else will have to suffer. You won't. Uh, there's one small thing. I don't know if it's clutching at straws, but are you familiar with in Hollywood the theory that they make male actors dress up in drag or play the roles of women in films to publicly humiliate them? So there's a small scene where he's showing, it's a Halloween like photo of him and his sons and Charlie is dressed as Dorothy. Out of all the characters, he's dressed as Dorothy. So he's dressed as a woman. That's that public humiliation to dress as a woman, that Baphomet type of deal. Um, And that's when we find that connection's really starting to happen between Charlie and Irene, or we assume it's Charlie, and it ends up being Hank posing as Charlie so he can sleep with Irene later on. Yes. So it gets to the scene where he wakes up, sees Irene next to him and he goes to take a piss and he's pissing everywhere. And he's, Irene, why am I pissing like I was up all night having sex? <laughs> and Irene's like, fuck, I slept with Hank. Yeah, so you you think, like, that makes you question every time you saw uh, Charlie and whether or not it was actually Charlie or Hank, yeah. um, depending on the scene. Because you think that it all happened when uh, Charlie goes out there, Irene and Charlie are having a good time in a hotel room and they're getting along and they need a mixer for some alcohol. And so Charlie says, okay, well, I'll just go get a soda and I'll be right back. And he goes to get the soda and the machine doesn't give him the soda when he puts his money in. And then it just cuts and it comes back with Charlie walking into the room and he's like, hey, I think I got this thing under control. Like the machine didn't give me my soda, but I just gave it a little rap on the side and it gave me my coke. I I didn't get mad. And so what you're seeing at this point is you think you're seeing Charlie, but it turns out that it's actually Hank masquerading as Charlie. Hank has figured it out. And and Hank in reality, a guy laughed at him because the machine swallowed his change. And in reality, Hank threw the guy into the the machine and took the can. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so, we have to question, are these conversations that Charlie's having Charlie all along or is it Hank manipulating the situation? We don't quite know as viewers. Um, right. I found it funny that later on in the film, like the boys are super intelligent, but all the boys know how to speak and read German when they steal a helicopter to go and try and save their dad later on. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the language that they choose to, yeah, to put yeah. in there is German. Yeah. Well, and, and the night that they have sex, um, some sodomy goes down. Let's not forget <laughs> yeah. another movie with sodomy in it. Sodomy. So apparently Hank likes a big black dildo in his ass. <laughs> Um, uh, oh, it looks so, like you had some fun did you have some fun little fella that wasn't for me that was for yeah, you and he just, and he just drops oh, it oh, he's like, ah. <laughs> yes. like, like oh fuck <laughs> yeah so yet again more sodomy um which i'm gonna have to look through jim carrey moves and see how many have sodomy in them now um, because probably that a lot be, that we didn't notice you know, probably <laughs> a lot we didn't notice now now uh, that i'm thinking about it um there's yeah there's at least a couple more i think i could think about i can't put my finger on it but i'll let you know because i think that might be a common theme possibly um, and it's it's possibly again something that's probably uh just doesn't even click with jim carrey himself you know he's just like whatever he's just acting uh so he may he may not even make the connection that there's a bunch of sodomy in his movies do you think he sits in reading the script oh that's another film with butt stuff okay whatever whatever what you're paying me how much (laughs) all right cool 20 million is 20 million yeah say you know what (laughs) there's a lot that i would do for 20 million (laughs) dollars that's a lot of money I don't know if uh, I don't know if I'd be down with some butt sex. Definitely not. Uh, we would definitely have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have the twenty million dollars with you? You're, is you're it gonna, small on my bills. Is yeah. it? Are you gonna give it to me first? <laughs> it's half up front. After what are we talking? Yeah, about? like uh, what are the stipulations? Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so we get past this scene and and Charlie um, is realizing that Hank is portraying him, which I think Charlie now he can. He's like, you couldn't tell the difference. He asked Irene, you couldn't tell the difference. And Irene said no. And I think that's when Charlie realizes that Irene likes him. Yeah. You know, that's when he realizes that. Oh, okay. But she didn't. She thought she was having sex with me and not Hank. And, and this is when he starts having his internal conflict with Hank that he starts calling Hank out to the point where, again, he's looking in a mirror, looking in the mirror, coasting Hank out. Come on, Hank, let's fight. Let's do it. And he starts slapping himself around the face to try and coast Hank out to fight him. Yeah, this internal battle is presented to us again. Uh, it's he, he is starting to man up to the situation. He is, again, on this very similar character arc of going from this meek weakling to somebody who is willing to fight. And again, it's to fight for a woman. Again, you know, it's, 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 um, and maybe that is, that is another secret message in this and other movies about how we will, men instinctually will protect women. That's our instinct. That is part of our nature is protect women. Um, and they're telling us that in both of these movies, we are meant to protect women are meant, you know, to, to be the, these more, 
um, caring, nurturing creatures, and we are meant to protect them. So just something else in, in these movies is that it's it's kind of hinting at this nature that they have been trying to destroy out of us is this instinctual nature to protect women. They're putting it in our face. This is what you're supposed to be doing, but but you're not doing it. Yeah. 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 What's your take on Hank and Charlie have a fight scene towards the end of the film where it's Hank beating the shit out of Charlie, Charlie beating the shit out of Hank. But it doesn't come across so much as a person with split personality disorder. It almost looks like there's two different people actually fighting. It might be the way he's method acting, but when he's chasing, like Charlie's chasing Hank, he's physically running down the street towards something he can see. And then at the last minute, he turns around and Hank's and points and laughs at him. So is Hank actually inside of Charlie or is it an entity that comes in and comes out? I, I think it's a, a very um, fight club Tyler Durden situation, right? Where it's all perceived inside of Charlie's. You know, he is doing all of the actions. You know, when it when in fight club, when it's like, hold on, we've just lost cabin pressure. And he starts replaying all of these things in his head where it was just him. You know, and I think that's more probably what it is, is that he thinks he's seeing something else, but it's all inside. It's all in his head. It's all the manifestation of how he's interpreting it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting thought that it would be manifesting outside of him, but I think it's at least in this movie how it's. Yeah. And you see that like when he knocks, Hank knocks Charlie out and he throws him into the car. So there's Hank, which is, um, throwing Charlie and Charlie's unconscious in the back seat, then wakes up as Hank and gets into the driver's seat and drives off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yep. they're they are one in the same. Same. Yep. Yeah. Um last part I've got here in my notes is and it's like we know as the film, Charlie and Hank work together. And it ends up being that Charlie comes out of this as the bigger personality, the stronger one, like that character growth, and saves the day, saves um Irene from the, the low-level crim that's trying to kill her. It's that type of character progression. But in the very end, what saves Charlie and makes him a free man, his namesake, it's not Hank, the strong personality. It ends up being Irene the whole time, who's peaceful waters, which is almost like a holy water situation. She's the one that saves Hank She's uh, and Charlie. She's the one that teaches him that Charlie is enough and can do all those things, and it doesn't have to be Hank to come in and save the day all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's the calming waters yeah. that, that calm the Hank personality and and allow it to integrate with the Charlie. And it's that male-female dynamic where um, calm waters temper steel. How right. do you make a sword? You temper steel with water. So yep. the male and the female, and that's yeah. represented right there. Yeah, and, and people don't even see it. Like in this movie, you see, they are sending the message that, that men and women are supposed to work together to become the stronger thing. You know, it's it's together, men and women together that are are strong, separated, we're not as strong. We're chaotic. You know, you see that in Charlie and Hank. He's, he's chaotic without it. And then when she's there, she calms him down and is able to make him more stable, uh, which is how it's supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to work. That's what a relationship's supposed to be. And they throw this stuff right in our face while simultaneously destroying families and relationships. <laughs> you know, it, it's they put this stuff everywhere. Um, and it's just kind of crazy when we really start digging into all of this stuff. 
and finding the symbol is movie you know and it, it, you know this movie at the end again charlie try ends up triumphant he gets the girl he's the hero he ends up doing it on his own without hank uh much like stanley does it without the mask you know and and they triumph as themselves they have this, this boosting of ego they get to you know, be the man they've always wanted to be without the external help they thought they so um and that's that's you know if you want white pills to take away from these movies um it's basically that you know we don't need what we think we you know we've we've been told that we need certain things and that things are a certain way and they're actually not you know that's what we can take away because you know in the mask stanley watches these cartoons and thinks that you know, women want this certain thing and that he needs to be a certain way when it turns out that's not at all what, what they want and how he should be. And the same thing with um, with me, myself, and Irene. You know, Stan, uh, I mean, Hank comes out and he's the tough guy, but he's too much of a tough guy asshole. You know, it's too much. The pendulum swings too far in the other direction. Um, and you have to be a mesh of those strong and you have to be gentle but strong you know you have to be a combination of the two you can't be the extremes and that's the message in this movie you can't be too meek and meager and you can't be too crazy and wild you have to be a mix of both it's like a a saying that i've often told like um in order to be peaceful you have to be capable of terrible things if you're not capable of terrible things you're not peaceful you're harmless (laughs) so you have to be capable of peace but also capable of terror. And that's, again, another message in this movie. You've got you've to gotta mesh both of those things, and we're better when we are in, I, I personally would say, a male-female. I've never been in a gay relationship, so I don't know if that fulfills the same things. I can't well, say. Maybe it does. 20, $20 million <laughs> might change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I would, I, my wife is worth more than that, so... <laughs> Good to hear. But like you said, it's the other thing we have to take away from it is there's all this hidden stuff in these films, but we need to really focus on what are they trying to mock and downgrade to us? What's what are they trying to destroy? What are they making fun of? Because those are the really important things that they're emphasizing. They're trying to mock us and make us look silly that, oh, you know, he's um he, he can't protect the woman. He's not good at that. He's he's not strong enough. Where he's polite. He Those says, are, hey, yeah, he's polite. Hey, he's, polite. he's nice. He respects, he respects women. He respects it's, women and they mock him for it. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the important things. If they're trying to deliberately mock mock something and make it a joke and the butt of all jokes, it's probably very important. <laughs> you should yep. start noticing it more. Agreed. Um, so that was that was me, myself, and Irene. And it's it's also, you know, both of these movies play on our inner battles with ourselves um the duality of self you know because that's very occult symbolism is split personality you know if you look into things like uh hannah montana and miley cyrus um those are two completely different things you know and so you have a lot of those kind of split personality type things presented to us in you know the the hollywood famous people kind of these two personalities and it's like they it's like they promote that ideology of of having a battle in herself so that you think it's normal to to kind of battle back and forth instead of being kind of a more fluid meshing of it makes you also wonder whether the conversations around mk ultra and sex kittens within hollywood 
are actually being presented to us through actors. And when they play these roles or these stereotyped typecast roles, is it actually them or is it their um, their controller that's set them on that task? So this is your role and this is what you're doing. And outside of this, you can be whoever you want. But, you know, when you're on the clock, this is what you are. Yep. And it very well could be something like that. I mean, there's so much fishy shit in Hollywood, you know, to be a celebrity. Who knows? Who knows? I think there's I think there's more nefarious shit than people want to believe. I think a lot of the celebrities are victims of MK Ultra, Monarch Mind Control. There's it's way more prevalent than anybody would like to be. Now, I'm not gonna be the one that goes to the complete extreme extent and say that every Hollywood female is a tranny. Um, <laughs> I don't think it goes that deep. I think some of them could be. Um, again, I, I look at hands, uh, and there's some of those Hollywood starlets that have very large man hands, and Cameron Diaz is one of them. Um, Jessica Beale, I used to think she was real hot, and then one day I saw her on like David Letterman or something, and she put her hand on the desk, and it was <laughs> fucking huge. And I was just like, holy shit! Do you know, do you know the one for me is I can't recall mental blank the actress's name. Demolition Man. Um, Sandra Bullock. Name? Sandra Bullock. Yeah. That's one that stands out to me. That's very yeah. masculine looking. Yeah, she used to not be. Like, if you watch some of her earlier films, like Love Potion Number 9 and uh, While You Were Asleep, I think it's called, or While You Were Sleeping, um, She was. she's, like, not, I mean, she still has kind of a strong jawline. She's much softer kind of not as masculine looking might just be the aging that we see now it could just be that she got work done yeah no um because hollywood is a weird weird place man like all this stuff could be going on you look at the word magic of hollywood itself holly like the holly tree and wood and traditionally wands are made of hollywood from a holly tree so it's magic written within the word of hollywood yep nuts well holly's holly bushes are poisonous yeah it's poison. It's literally poison. They have it it's right a there literal in toxic environment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like how does how does, like and people people think we're crazy for making all of this stuff. So um I, I I think we just need to keep doing it. That's great, man. Well, it's it's the same thing listening to them though. If you listen to the one topic for too long, it's you become blackfield very quickly. Or you oh, start yeah. you start carrying it with you at all times, which you really shouldn't do. It's it's one thing to listen to something, but when it starts impacting your your mental health at the same time, you know it's something's definitely going on. Yeah, so these things that we're on. doing now, where we're just discussing, shooting the shit, watching movies, and picking out stuff that could be there, that's yeah. fun. Like, why not talk about it? Yeah, it's a blast because we get to we get to mesh in entertainment and kind of our conspiracy mindset. So it's it's a new angle of things that I I've been wanting to do for a while. And I think starting with Jim Carrey is fucking <laughs> rad. Um, so where do we go from here, man? Uh, Jim Carrey's got such an insane library. We obviously can't do all of them. I think I think maybe if we do one or two more, we can wrap Jim Carrey up with a nice yeah. pretty bow. Yep. Um, and I think uh, one of my votes is for sure Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. I think that kind of plays into uh, what we're doing here quite well. Um, do we do a double header with that? And what's his other one, 23, where he's actually oh, got split personalities? That's a very dark one, but it complements it well. It is dark as shit. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk off air about 
<laughs> about what to do with those two, but I think that would be a good way to wrap him up. I mean, we could we could probably do an entire quote unquote season on just Jim Carrey. He's got such an in-depth library that there's no end to. I mean, dude, liar, liar. <laughs> like that's another one where an actual spell is cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably even a better shot. Literally, it's the same things depicted all the time. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. So we'll figure it out. It's going to be something maybe we'll end up having to do um, because there's just so many good carries. And then we'll discuss where we go from there. But this has been a lot of fun, man. Uh, I'm enjoying these. And we got to, I think we're going to, we're going to hit a niche that nobody else is doing it. Um, anyway, it's getting late, brother. <laughs> I, I know it's early for you. So it's like midday, but I have got to get to bed. And, yeah, you need it. <laughs> yeah, dude, I am exhausted. I'm falling asleep during movies. So, <laughs> so, so thanks for carrying us through the, the last half of, of me, myself, and Irene, because I, I tried to watch it again this afternoon and fell asleep again. So <laughs> it just wasn't meant to be. But um, I like this dynamic. I, th- I like the way we see movies differently and look for different things. And man, this is going to be a fun journey, brother. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and your stuff and, and all of that? Yeah, sure. I'm Drew Missing from You're Missing the Point. You can find me on uh, Podbean and on Instagram. I'm currently trying to get some kind of an intro through and music and whatnot so I can pop my few episodes and videos up onto a, a video platform. That's to be confirmed. But yeah, Podbean and Instagram for You're Missing the Point. Sweet man, I'm Moral Bob. You can find me at the Hidden Pod on Instagram, and you can find my podcast Hidden in Sight on all the podcatchers out there. And I think for now, we're going to be releasing these on our stream. And then I want—I'd like to eventually break this off on own RSS feed. Um, but for now, we'll let our audiences enjoy them, build an audience, and then separate it, starting from scratch. <laughs> but anyway, dude, much appreciated. I love this. Uh, and I, I look forward to the next one. So until next time, this was Movie Minds. Y'all keep watching and looking. See you. See you guys. Time. You don't gotta go home, but you can't stay here.